Welcome to the Vineyard Altoona podcast. If you have any questions or just want more information, you can visit our website at vineyardaltuna.org or any of our social media platforms at Vineyard Altoona. And now, here's Derek with the message. What brings you joy? AC. Shout it out. What else? What brings you joy? Huh? Naps. What else? Children bring you joy. What else? That's it? Vacation brings you joy. What else? Pizza brings you joy. All right. What else? The beach. If you put the beach and vacation together, it's like amazing. Anything else brings you joy? Family and friends brings you joy. What about good food? Anybody? I mean, pizza, hanging out with friends. I had a, an amazing time yesterday. So I, I, I have a smoker now that I built um, with the help of Mike Andrews, which if you don't know him, you should meet him. He's also one of the people who's not here today. Um, but I have this smoker, smoked this, this pork shoulder yesterday with uh, Betty and Chris, and this brought me great, great, great joy. And I would imagine, Chris, did it bring you great joy? Great joy, just great joy with pork. Let me read you a verse, and then I want to ask you if, if this also brings you joy. Acts 5.41, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering, disgrace for the name. Suffering, does suffering bring you joy? It's not something we think of as a joy-bringing uh, thing, and yet the apostles said they found great joy in suffering for the name. Is it possible for us to find joy in suffering? Is that possible? That's what I want to talk about today. We began this series at the beginning of the summer through the book of 1 Peter called Strangers in a Foreign Land. And in essence, uh, Peter is the, the apostle Peter is writing to these Christians who have been exiled to the furthest edges of the Roman Empire. And in their exile, they've sort of wondered, like, am, are, are we, like, a, a rejected by God? Is there something that we've done wrong? And Peter's writing to encourage these folks. It says he, he's, he's trying to encourage them to live as Christians in a surrounding environment where, that's not supportive of Christian faith. Any of you feel like that's where you live right now? I live in a place where my Christian faith is not encouraged or supported. And so Peter writes this letter and what we said the last few weeks is that inevitably, Peter says, Christians are going to suffer. And I want to know and I want to explore today is can suffering bring you joy? Last week we said the reason that Christians will inevitably suffer is because we worship a God who is alive and we choose not to worship the idols that the culture offers us. And that eventually... If you do that long enough, people are going to make fun of you, and they're going to ostracize you. And this is sort of what is the experience of these Christians is, is that they've been ridiculed and made fun of for not worshiping the pagan gods. And so what I want to look at today, Peter speaks his last direct word on suffering to these Christians, and what he says is there is joy in suffering for Christ. There is joy in suffering for Christ, and I'm going to just keep saying this. The message title today is, You Can Have Joy in Suffering. You Can Have Joy in Suffering. Would you pray with me? And then we're going to look at 1 Peter. 
Lord Jesus, we do just welcome you into this space. And I just acknowledge, Lord, that we need you. That there's nothing that we can do, nothing that we have to offer that you don't first put in our hands. And so would you come, would you grace us with your presence? And God, as we talk about what it means to have joy and suffering, I pray that you would bring that. That some of us right now are experiencing suffering. So Lord, would you bring joy? Would you release your joy into this place? God, I pray that you would speak through me, that you would put your words in my mouth, and that, Lord, you would be glorified today. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to look at 1 Peter for chapter 4. Chapter 4, beginning in verse 19, or no, verse 12. Beginning in verse 12, here's what we read. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will, be the, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Verse 12 starts out with this fiery ordeal that Peter refers to. And some of the, the uh, interpreters of Scripture have said, well, this must mean that Peter is referring to uh, the mid-60s A.D. when uh, the emperor Nero was persecuting Christians. And so they use this verse and they say, this is why this letter is written in the 60s, because Nero uh, set some of his own stuff on fire and then used that as an occasion to blame the Christians. And so in the mid-60s, Nero persecuted Christians. And the way he did this was he, some of them he just set on fire. Just set them on fire for being Christians. But that's not what Peter is writing here. This is not the reference that Peter is making. The reference Peter is making is a glance back to chapter 1 where he's referring to the faith of the Christian as, as a comparison to precious metals that is tested and proven and tried in fire. And so he's saying, the experience you're having of persecution is a, is a trying fire. It's proving you and proving your faith. That this is what the experience of persecution does. And so in verse 12, he says, dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you. Like you would test precious metal, that you would purify precious metal in fire. He's saying, the experience that you're having is an experience that's testing and proving your faith. Now, we said last week the suffering that, that Peter is referring to for these Christians is not any overt, like, physical abuse. It, that does come eventually, but it's mostly that they're just being made fun of and being ridiculed and being ostracized for being uh, people who uh, are not worshiping the pagan gods. 
The ordeal is, that they're experiencing is ridicule, that they're being made fun of, they're being insulted for their faith. And Peter says that for the Christian, you can have joy in suffering. Now, I don't know about you, this feels like a mind trick. Doesn't it feel like that to you a little bit? Like joy in suffering? Like, I don't know about you, but I feel like, I, I watched this video some years ago, and it was this Christian woman, she was, you know, um, I would gather, I don't know, she was very, very dressed up, I'll say. Uh, and she, was, she had been horribly, like, mistreated by someone. And the pastor that was talking to her was trying to convince her to forgive and find the good, in, like, in the face of this person who had abused her. And it just feels like this trick, like, thank God I was abused because if I weren't abused, I mean, it just feels like a trick. Doesn't it? Like the idea that we would say, oh, I'm suffering for Jesus and so therefore I, I'm blessed. I don't know about you, but it's hard for me to, to come to that. Like I can't naturally conceive of going, I'm suffering, so therefore this must be a good thing and find joy. It feels like a twist, but that's not what Peter says. He says there is joy. How is there joy? Let me sort of explain this to you. Every Christian begins faith the same way, right? I mean, not exactly functionally the same, but what it means to be a Christian is one who has surrendered their will to God. So at some point in your life, to be a Christian means that you have surrendered your will, you have yielded to Jesus. You say, Jesus is in charge of my life now. That's what it means to be a Christian. And for many of us, the way that functionally works out is we pray some prayer. Some of you would say, well, it's the sinner's prayer or whatever. But we pray some prayer that says, Jesus, I choose to receive the offering that you have given to me. I choose to receive the grace and the mercy that you have offered to me, that you forgive me. And that's how we start. We say, I acknowledge that my past was not what I intended or what you intended. But I receive the forgiveness and the grace and the mercy that you offer. And that's how it starts. And then like we celebrated last week, you guys remember we celebrated baptism. And it was so exciting to celebrate baptism. But this is the next step, right? That we, we've, we've given our lives to Jesus. We've surrendered. And now we get baptized. And it's this demonstration to our church family, that yes, we have surrendered to Jesus. We have been buried with Christ and that we will be raised again, right? This is the demonstration. And when you do that, everybody claps. Did anybody not clap when those people got baptized last week? Do you know how mean that is? I don't know about you. But everybody claps at the church that we, we came from who sent us here to plant this church in uh, Columbus at the end of a service, there would be an invitation to respond to Jesus, to pray this prayer, right? To begin faith. And the people who would respond and stand, everybody claps. And you're like, wow, so you get celebrated for doing Christian things. You get celebrated for responding to Jesus. You get celebrated for being baptized. But eventually, it settles into a normal rhythm, doesn't it? And nobody claps for you when you pray. Right? Nobody claps for you when you read the Bible. Maybe you clap at home. Like, maybe start that. That's, this is your new spiritual discipline. I'm offering this to you. After you read the Bible at home in the morning, just, just, start, just start clapping, you know? Somebody will applaud for you doing a basic discipleship thing, right? Nobody claps. Now, internally, I jump for joy, but nobody claps for you when you come to church. 
Internally, I'm so excited to see you. Maybe I should start clapping when I get up here and then everybody will just feel applauded. But what I'm, the point I'm trying to make is over a period of time, the celebration for following Jesus sort of wanes, doesn't it? And all of us eventually end up in this place at some point or another where we go, I wonder if I'm living the life God intended. Do you have that feeling? Have you wondered that? Like, is, am I really doing this the right way? Like, I'm just putting one foot in front of the other. I've read this Bible reading plan through six times. Is it mattering? Some of us wonder that. I don't know if, you, if you've watched the Alpha videos. The very first Alpha video, they go through and they ask these questions. And the question they ask on the very first Alpha video is, if you could ask God one question, what would it be? Do you know what the most common question is in that video? Am I doing this right? Am I living okay? And I think we all struggle with that. Like, after a while, we start to wonder, like, am I living the life God intended? Because nobody's celebrating it. Nobody applauds me when I put money in the basket. Now, remember, I just internally jump for joy every time you do it. So... I'm celebrating for you, and Jesus is celebrating for you. But over a period of time, we start to wonder, don't we? And if we were honest, some of us get down the line, and we start to wonder, like, I don't know if you've ever had this thought, and if, I, if you haven't, I apologize, I'm going to put it in your head. What happens at the end of my life when I'm standing in front of God? What am I going to say? Have I lived the life that he intended? I mean, I think I did the right things. What would I say? And of course, if you're a follower of Jesus, you would say, well, I know that my hope is not in anything that I've done or any way that I've lived, but my hope is in Jesus and that because I have surrendered to Jesus, his righteousness has been given to me. But there's this wondering, right? Like, What happens? Am I doing okay? Have I done it well? Have you ever found yourself wondering those things? And I have really good news for you. If you're a follower of Jesus, you don't have to worry about those things. Because judgment for you has already begun. It has already begun. Look at verse 17. I want to read this to you. Peter says this in verse 17. says, for it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins for us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God. Peter says that this judgment that we've all thought about, at the end of our lives, at the end of time, this judgment in the age to come has broken into the middle of the current age. That in Jesus, judgment began. And Jesus was found righteous. And the invitation to all of us is that we would be found in Jesus righteous. If you've ever worried about judgment at the end of the age, to be found in Christ means you are judged as righteous because Christ is righteous. This is good news for you. This is really good news. It's not based on the way that you lived in the past. It's not based on all of your mistakes. It's not based on every mess that you've made. It's based on the fact that Jesus lived the life we were intended to. And that's good news. Judgment has begun and it's in your favor. Is that good news to you? 
Here's why you can have joy in suffering. Because every single time you are faced with a choice, every single time you're faced with the choice of saying, I'm going to endure the ridicule, I'm going to endure the suffering that comes by doing what God has called me to do, by being faithful to Jesus. Every time you're given that option to do the right thing or to compromise and go along with the culture, and you choose to face the suffering in Jesus, what Peter says is you are proving again and again and again that you are found in Jesus. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to wonder if I get to the end of my life and have I done it right. There's motivation to do the thing that God calls you to do. And every time it happens, what Peter says is your faith is proven again and again and again. Judgment for you if you're a follower of Jesus has already begun. And it's in your favor. That's good news. But there's a qualifier that Peter puts Not all suffering passes the test. Not all suffering passes the test. You can't suffer for legitimate reasons and say, well, this is me proving my faith. Peter says it's not that, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't, if you're suffering justly, if people legitimately have a reason for you to suffer, that's not proving your faith. Here's what Peter says in uh, in verse 15. He says, if you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. Now, there's something I want you to see that's very interesting in this verse. Something very fascinating, right? He says, hey, suffering for Jesus doesn't include murdering people. And we're all like, yeah, of course not. If I kill someone, I'm justly going to be suffering. He says, suffering for Jesus doesn't include being a thief. And again, we go, of course not. That's, that's, of course, right? Suffering for Jesus doesn't include being a criminal. Yeah, okay, fair enough, yeah. Suffering for Jesus doesn't include being a meddler. Wait, what did he say? Well, that's, that's not me. I'm not a meddler. I'm, I'm just care about other people, right? I'm not a meddler. But check this out. There's something that Peter, uh, Peter makes up a word here, or at least a lot of scholars think he makes up a word. He takes two Greek words and he smashes them together, and scholars have a hard time finding this word before Peter uses it right here. And it, the two words smashed together literally mean overseeing the affairs of another. Some of you know where we're going with this, don't you? It's sticking your nose in someone else's business. I say it with a smile so you don't hate me. Christians are really good at that, aren't we? Peter says here, you don't stick your nose in anyone else's business because the main concern that Peter has is we know that there's the worship of the true God and the worship of idols is nothing and it's not worth doing. And Peter's concern is that the Christians are going to get proud and they're going to get arrogant and they're going to sort of like start calling people out for all the wrong things they do. And Peter says, don't do that. Why? Because the gospel will stop spreading if you do that. And so Peter's really concerned here. His main issue is that we not be meddlers and he equates it with murder. The next time you find someone meddling, you can say, Sorry, you're just like a murderer. No, don't say that. That's exactly breaking the spirit of what Peter is saying. 
Peter Davids in his commentary on 1 Peter says this about verse 15. I want you to see this. He said, thus is probable that our author is concerned that Christians in their rejection of idolatry and pagan morality or their zeal for the gospel not put their noses, or worse, into situations in which they ought not to be involved and thus justly earn the censure of pagan culture for transgressing culturally approved limits. Gentle persuasion is one thing. Denouncing idolatry in a temple courtyard is another, as might also be interfering in the affairs of another family, however well-meaning it might be. He says, no Christian should disgrace Christ by being guilty of such things. See, suffering this way, suffering as a meddler, Peter says, doesn't pass the test. If you suffer because you're a meddler, you're not passing the test. But here's the thing. I see this over and over in American Christianity. We think it's our job to tell everybody else what they're doing wrong. And then we go, oh, I'm suffering for Jesus because I'm standing up for what's right. Peter says, don't be a meddler. Don't stick your nose in other people's business. That the testimony that you offer is the way that you are faithful to what God has invited you to. And then we're given option. You can, you can share when people ask. But here's the problem. In most of American Christianity, nobody has come to me and said, Hey, Derek, what do you think the world should do about this or that issue? Most of the world doesn't ask me that. You know that? I said this before, but when, it went through, when we went through COVID, nobody called me to ask how we should handle COVID. It's interesting. Nobody called the church to say, What should we do about masking? What should we do about vaccines? Nobody asked. And yet so many of us as followers of Jesus just volunteered our opinion right into someone else's business. Didn't we? And don't we do that all the time? Like, take a self-assessment. Don't we do that a lot? Tell everybody else how they need to live their lives. And if you want a really good example, think of every place where Christians have gone to war with culture. Every place that we go to war with culture is this exact same thing. And the problem here is we get punched in the nose, we get made fun of, someone else takes another fairly serious response and we go, well, we're suffering for, for what's right. We're suffering for Jesus. No, you're suffering for being a meddler. You're putting your nose right in the middle of someone else's business that it wasn't asked for. Do you know who loses when we do that? Do you know what loses when we do that? The gospel of Jesus Christ. Every time we put our nose in the middle of someone else's business to tell them how they need to live, do you know what happens? They stop listening to us. And when we go to share this gospel message that's such good news that has radically transformed our lives, they're deaf to us. Because we've spent all this time telling them how they need to live. And we lose. Over and over and over. We exert our collective will on the culture around us. But the ultimate cost is that we have no capital to share the good news of Jesus with them. Do you see this? I'll tell you this much. Maybe I shouldn't. I won't. I won't tell you this much. Everybody's like, oh, what is he going to say? 
I'll say it this way. (laughs) Some of you are going to maybe get upset, and I apologize. Every time we exercise our political will to force someone to live a certain way, they will live that way for a while, but they will reject the reason. Do you know that? Every time we win a political battle and we we exert the, the Christian way of doing things into the public sphere, we win for a very short time. But it doesn't yield the ultimate transformation that we hope it will. Do you know that? Think about it like this. Last year, this is where we're going to get a little bit close. Last year, around this time, you know, early summer last year, the, the Roe versus Wade thing was overturned. Do you remember that? Everybody has, like, this thing happened. So what happened in the follow-on after that happened? Did you pay attention to what happened? Everybody is now forced to live by that, and yet all of the politicians were like, we're just going to go harder at it, and we're going to make it legal again, and we're going to codify this into... That's what happened. So here's the deal. We got our way... By saying you can't do this at a federal level while at the same time losing the right to share the gospel with all those people. We won and we lost at the same time. And you know what ultimately loses? The gospel. Here's why this is important. Peter says this a little bit earlier. He says in chapter 2, he says, Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters. You remember that? And I was like, that's a weird thing to say, right? Here's why. Peter knows the most important thing is that the gospel spreads. Peter's not saying that slavery is good, that slave owning is good, that that whole institution is the right way to do life. Peter's not saying any of that at all. But what he knows is if the spread of the gospel stops, none of this will flip. So he doesn't say, Slaves, you need to revolt and win your freedom. He says, submit yourselves to your your masters so that the gospel will spread. And guess what happens when the gospel spreads? You have slave owners who lay down their right to own slaves as a sacrifice to Jesus. That's a transformation that lasts. This is the reason that the gospel has to be the highest priority. And what that means is sometimes as follower of Jesus... We suffer. And we look at things and we're like, this is not as it should be. I know that we can make this right. But in our anxiety, we grab the power from God and we say, we're going to make it right. And Peter says, that's just meddling. That's taking a hold of something that's not yours and forcing it on people. It's important for us to get this. So how do, we, how do we live this out? How do we, let me finish here. Peter in verse 19, he says this. So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Peter says, let God be God and you entrust yourself to him and you continue to live the way you know God has asked you to live. That's how this works. And the beautiful thing is, is whenever you stop trying to be God, You can actually find joy in suffering because what it's telling you is that you actually belong to Jesus. 
over and over and over again. The fact that you suffer, the fact that you find these things in the world that are wrong and you suffer in that way is proof again and again and again that you belong to Jesus. It's good news, friends. Sometimes good news hurts a little bit, doesn't it? Thank you again for choosing the Vineyard Altoona podcast. We're so excited to see how God will release his kingdom in and through you today for the glory of Jesus Christ. With this, be blessed, and we'll see you next time.